Financial Stewardship on Purpose, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. Um, last week, Pastor Peter took us uh, on our second week of our On Purpose series, and he talked about work, the purpose of work. Right? And I know some of you weren't expecting that message to be so powerful because we we're talking about work. Right? But something that he said was very profound. It was that when you work, you affirm the image of God in you. When you work, you affirm the image of God in you. And as, we were, as I was preparing this message and I was thinking about this idea of purpose, you know, something that struck me was purpose is truly just rooted in who you are. Purpose is rooted in your identity. Your identity dictates a lot of what your purpose is or what you think your purpose is, where that comes from, where that starts. It's in your identity. And so today, we're speaking on the purposes of our finances. Very stimulating word today. Money. And I feel like I've been chosen to speak this word because I was formerly in, involved in corporate banking. Um, and, you know, I have heard my fair share of people talking about money, pursuing money, various perspectives and goals on money, you know, from the banking standpoint, just you know, chasing money, making money, acquiring money, giving debt to make more money, stability, risk. There's so many things that we can talk about when it comes to money. But all in all, what it comes down to is people want more money. People want more money. Who here is fond of the idea of having a little bit more money? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. It's not a trick question. We could all use a little bit more money, right? The majority of us, at least. You know, even myself, we find ourselves fantasizing if I had a little bit more money. Just a little bit more money. The Powerball Lotto jackpot is currently at $48 million. When it's at $48 million, no one really cares because it's only at $48 million. But you have the regular people that are playing the Powerball jackpot. And as you know, as the lottery works, it's when people keep playing and as they keep losing, the jackpot grows. And suddenly when, suddenly when you're driving down I-95, I-80, and you see that billboard, when you see $300 million, suddenly it's, oh, $300 million. Maybe I should buy a ticket. Four, $400 million, maybe I should buy a ticket. $500 million, maybe I should buy a ticket. And then suddenly there's office pools, right? How many of us have had office pools for the lotto when it was really big? You see lines of people at convenience stores, stands, getting tickets to get this jackpot because $48 million is not worth my time. But $500 million, yes, I will buy my ticket, please. And this person, this perspective of having lots of money is attractive. Why? Because money does have power. There is power in cash. Money can change your life. It really can. We're, that's the truth of the matter. It can, it can change it for better or for worse. That's for sure. But the thing is, is that when that becomes the main thing, we begin to put our hope in our finances. When you put your hope in your finances, your finances become your God. Your finances become your God. We begin to think, if I had more money, I would have a better future. If I had more money, my life would be different. 
If only I had a little bit more money. It's dangerous. I've even heard one really popular preacher preach this message. Pray and follow your purpose and prosperity will follow you. And then his congregation rose. They whooped and they hollered and they said, praise the Lord. And it was so sad to see that because that's a lie. The Bible makes no guarantee that God will give you more money. But the thing is, all this to say, we care about money. We do. We care about money, and we should because God does too. God cares about money too. So before we talk about purpose, before I reveal to you the purpose of our finances, which I will straight away, we need to talk about two foundational perspectives first. They're going to come up on the screen. The first perspective is this. This is a foundation. Your finances are not your finances. Your finances are not your finances. Your car, whether you lease it or own it, your home, whether you rent it or own it, your cash, the cash in your wallet, the change in whatever coin jar or wherever you hide your change in does not belong to you. It's God's. It's God's. And that is why we tithe. That is the origin of the tithe. See, the tithe is acknowledgement that, Lord, this is yours. And that is why Jacob gave him the first fruit. Lord, this belongs to you. See, in actuality, when the church started the tithe, the, the original purpose for it was to support the poor and to support ministry. That is what the tithe is for. And that's why we tithe to the church. That's why Metro does the Christmas offering because we want to support the least of these as well as support ministries aside from our church too. Your tithe is not a safety net that's going to protect you from the wheels falling off your car and is not a guarantee for your success. You're not making a deal. You're not bartering with God. It is a reflection of your heart for him. Your tithe is a reflection of your heart for God's people and your acknowledgement that what you have belongs to the Lord. Amen? Amen. If you don't tithe, I must say, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. The second perspective is you are called to be a steward of God's things. If I could use a more modern day, it would be you are called to be a money manager or a resource manager of God's things. You are called to be a money manager. So both of these, uh, they come from scripture. We're going to talk about them in a little bit more in depth as we go into the sermon. But the big question today, what is the purpose of our finances? The purpose of our finances is to build the kingdom of God here and now. The purpose of our finances is to build the kingdom of God here and now. All right, stay with me here. Our main verse today, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be good in rich deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you're taking notes, if you have a Bible, if you have an app, underline that last part. May take hold of the life that is truly life. May you live truly into a life that is truly life. So we have three points about building the kingdom of God with our finances, but first, let's pray together. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would be here, that you would speak, Lord, through your servant, and that, God, your word would be heard and that it would be taken that it would convict, that it would have authority, and that, God, we would be faithful to you. Not for any human ambition or intent, but, Lord, simply because what we acknowledge, it's all yours, God. And we want to live into your heart for your people. Help us to be faithful to you in all things, all that we have. We lift it up to you. I pray that if there are people in this congregation today that have a tight grip on something, that, Lord, you would gently open their hands and that they would feel freedom there. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Three points. The first point being, in the kingdom of God, money is meant to be invested. Money is meant to be invested. This is the beginning of verse 17 from 1 Timothy. Command those who are rich. Command those who are rich. These people are already rich. That is who Paul is talking about. They're not thinking about being rich. They're not chasing being rich. They're not on a journey to being rich. They're not on their way to being rich. They are already rich. And Paul does not condemn them. It's okay. It's okay. To have a lot. It's not a bad thing to have a lot. But the command here is use your assets in this way. Use your assets. In another way to say, be a good money manager. Be a good money manager. Matthew 25 talks specifically about stewardship in the parable of the master who gives gold to his servants. There's a master who gives servants gold according to his will. One servant gets five bags of gold. One servant gets two. The last gets one. This is Matthew 25, 16 to 19. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. He invested it and gained five bags more. So also the one two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Notice two things that happen here right now. One, there is a full account taken. A full account. Why? Why is there a full account taken? When you take a full account, what that means is you're, you're balancing things out, right? Because everything belongs to the master. Everything belongs belongs to the master here. The two servants receive the same praise from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little things. 
So I'll put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. See, both of them received this praise. Even though one made five, one made two. We see here it's not the amount that causes him to praise. It's the intent. It's the heart to invest the things of God. The last servant is wicked. The last servant is called wicked for burying what was given to him. The last servant says to his master, I was afraid because you're a hard man. That's why I hid this gold. And you know what the master says to him? The master says, you should have at least taken this and put it into the bank and received minimal interest. Literally, that's what the Bible says. You should have just gotten minimal interest. At least, you wicked servant. See, the bags of gold were tremendous sums of wealth. And that's because God richly provides for his people. Not just wealth, but gifting, talent, character, community, people. God calls us to multiply what he richly provides. That is how you manage those things. And we see two types of investments here. Two types. The very literal, grow your money. Grow your money. Invest your money. Be money savvy. Some of you in this room are really good at managing money. Keep doing it. Thank you for doing that. Continue to steward your money well. And if you're not good at it, talk to a financial advisor. I highly recommend it. Don't come to me. I will not give you financial advice, right? It's kind of illegal. Go to a financial advisor. Speak with someone if you have no idea what to do. That's okay. It's okay to put your money to work to make more money. That's what does. Then the second more uh, important investment is the eternal. Invest in the eternal things. Invest in people. Invest in the least of these. Invest in your relationships. Invest in ministry. This is a kingdom return, a forever return. And that is why we need to manage our money well. You know, I heard something funny uh, the other day. Someone said, you know, you can do both at the same time. I said, how? It's like, because our church accepts stock. Our church accepts stock for a donation, for tithe, right? You can invest in the market and then invest your investment. There, two in one. There you go. That's application at its best, right? Invest. Grow your money. That's the literal investment. Do it. But invest in the internal things. The return is very different. When we do that, when we continue to invest in the eternal things of God, you will see the things will change around you, not just your wallet. People will change. Communities will change. That is what we're doing here. And that leads us into our second point. The kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, money is not the end all, be all. Verse 17 again, the very end of it. Do not put your hope in wealth. Do not 
put your hope in wealth. Scripture is very clear. Jesus says it very straight away. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two masters. Proverbs 23. If you hear anything today, Proverbs 23. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. That's straight from the Bible. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Very practical. I like that. See, I know that many of us work very hard, not just for money. I'm not calling people who work a lot very greedy, right? I, I did the same thing. I, I worked 70-hour work weeks in corporate. I get that. Corporate America is very demanding. There are many of us in this room that own businesses that is very demanding. Totally understand you are building something. But the best example I can think of when it comes to this work idea is our parents. Many of us have immigrant parents, immigrant families. Seven-day work week, every day, all day. Laundromat, dry cleaner, liquor store, vegetable store, any store, beauty supply, everything. So many different things that they threw themselves into why? Because they wanted to provide for their families. And that's a very noble thing. That's a good thing that they wanted to provide for their families. But what happened? My dad used to own a liquor store in Brighton Beach and then Astoria in the 80s. Um, he went through so much. So many things happened to him. And then he moved on into something more lucrative for him. Right? So all he did was work. All he did was work. And then when he moved on to his second business, he was just gone six months out of the year. He was in Korea six months out of the year. My mom worked a double night shift as a nurse. All my memories of them are just about them leaving. When I was four, the only real memory I had of my mom is her waking up at 7 p.m. to go to work. Our relationships suffered. There was food on the table. There was a home. Of course, we were comfortable. I thanked them for that. But our relationships suffered. My family's health declined because most of my memories of them are working, about them working. I was talking to my dad the other day. He looked at me, he's like, with you? Do it different. Do it all over again. I was like, what? Do you regret me? Like, what, what does that mean? He's like, no, no, no. He said, I would spend more time with you. He wasn't at my high school graduation. He barely made it to my college one. We don't really celebrate things. We don't know how to, we tried a vacation together. We don't know how to vacation together now. Because we never did that. If your work is your slave driver, you are not living into the image of God, Pastor Peter spoke of last week. Yes, we are called to work. Work is good. Yes. But work is not your master. Now, some of us work a lot, not because we're pursuing wealth, but because we feel like we have to run from poverty. The fear of poverty. Or more, uh, a, a lot uh, for some of us, the fear of instability. 
Instability is a terrible, I understand that. Financial instability sucks. I will, I'm not trying to uh, undermine that. But when you fear something, you begin to worship it because fear is a form of worship. And when you fear financial instability so much that you begin to sacrifice things, now you're sacrificing things for work. Now you're sacrificing things for work. Money is not the end-all, be-all. We are called to live for something beyond that. And then the third point. In the kingdom of God, money will help us show mercy and do justice. Money will help us show mercy and do justice. Verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. First Timothy calls us to be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. More specifically in the Greek, it calls us to be generous in our distribution. So this is not if you give, this is when you give, the amount is generous. And first, uh, the Greek says, it is not just willing to share, it's you are ready to share. So this is not a posture of, oh, there's someone in need. Let me check if I can help you. No, the posture is, oh, there's someone in need. I'm ready to help you. It's very different. A posture that is ready to share. I have prepared this already for such a time as this. That is faithfulness. Christ shows us this through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of you know this parable, right? There's a man who's robbed, he's beaten, he's left for dead, he's on the street. Three people walk by, right? The first few, they see him, they cross the road on the other side and they ignore him. But then, verse 33, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Going to note two things here. Whom the money was used for. See, Jewish people, the man who was beaten left for dead was a Jew. Jewish people had a special disdain for Samaritans. Samaritans were Jews, but over the generations, their people began to mix with other nations. So they were considered dirty. So the Jewish people didn't want to associate themselves with Samaritans. They had great disdain for them. And the Samaritans knew this very well. But this Samaritan man sees this person who's left for dead, who hates him and tends to his wounds, uses his resources, pours oil and wine, puts him on his own donkey for transportation, brings him to an inn to take care of him, gives him two denarii, two days' wages to take care of him again, and then says, open up a tab on me and I will return to take care of that tab. Make sure this person is taken care of. 
And there is a great challenge hidden here in the Good Samaritan. Ready? Can you love your enemy with your money? Can you love your enemy with your money? That is exactly what's being done here. And we see what lengths this money was used for. See, he did not know what other expenses there would be. He just says, open up the tab. I got this. That is the stance that we need to have when it comes to those who are in need. The amount doesn't matter here. What matters is that as a person, the one in need is given their rights. The one in need is treated with equity. The one in need is lifted up. And that is where we put our money to. The good Samaritan here makes sure to see that through. To bring about justice in that way. That is how you bring about the kingdom of God with your finances. That is how you witness to people with your finances. That is how you create testimony with your finances. That is how you bring glory to God with your finances. It's not about building pretty buildings. It's not about doing impressive things. It's about the people and taking care of those in need abundantly. That is how we bring about the kingdom of God. So yes, use your money. Grow your money. Invest your money. But invest into the eternal. Invest into the eternal. Do not build up your portfolios just for the sake of accumulation. Please, invest into the eternal. Do this, and you will bring about the very glory of God. Um, my wife and I, um, a lot of things happened over the past year. My daughter, she turned one. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I didn't do anything. She just grows, but, you know, she turned one. And we bought a house. Bought a house because uh, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment and something no one told us, like, people told us that babies, like, poop and vomit, right? That's fine. But no one told us that their stuff vomits into your apartment. And now there's no space in our, little, like, little one-bedroom, right? So we were like, oh, my gosh, like, what are we supposed to do? We have no room. How are we going to raise her? And we're like, you know, Let's look at buying a house. So we got really lucky, and we purchased a home. Purchased a home, realized, okay, this is going to be really hard. Money's tight, but she and I, we were both working at the time. So we're like, you know, we got this. We can do this. And with a child, I never realized how many Amazon transactions there could be on my credit card. Like, they just keep appearing. Every time I check, right, that the it, it's, I think it's still happening right now, right? They just keep coming. They just keep coming for you. Strange purchases sometimes. But sure, it's all for the baby, right? And, you know, I'm like, okay, we got to redo our budget. We got to reconfigure here. 
right? So we did that. We reconfigured. We pivoted, and we were good. But over some time, uh, a couple months into Lucy, um, you know, just growing up, doing life together, my wife looks so sad and tired. And, you know, we usually sit down. And our conversations usually go like this. I have to say, what's wrong? What's wrong? Tell me. Talk to me. What's wrong? She's nothing. It's fine. I'm like, oh, no, tell me. What's wrong? She's like, I'm good. I don't want to talk about it. I said, no, no. Tell me what's wrong. She says, well, I don't want to work anymore. You know, and I said, why? That's what I said. Trying to stay cool about it. She looked at me and she cried a little and she said, I want to be a mom. What am I supposed to say? I said, do you feel like you're being a mom now? And she said, yes and no. And I said, why? And she explained to me what she went through. And I didn't really understand. Um, my, my, my wife, she worked in the ORs, right? It's actually very physically demanding. Um, a lot of standing. And she has a bad back. So standing is just the worst for her. She's constantly handing out tools and stuff like that. And when she comes home, it was hard for her to be present with our girl because she's so tired. And, you know, even with, like, a, a child as young as ours, you know, you got to be pretty active. I said, wow, I get it. So we had her quit her job. And then we had to pivot again. And I got to say, maybe, maybe is not the most financially responsible thing I've ever done. I like to keep a tight budget. I like to know exactly what's happening. I like to have savings. I like to do those things. I don't like debt. But my wife is investing in something more than our savings account. She's investing in something that's going to return so much more. And I believe that. And she will work again. <laughs> so. <laughs> when we build up the kingdom, when you invest in your relationships, when you invest in your community, when you invest in the least of these, when you invest in those who are in need, when you invest to show mercy, to do justice, what you're doing is you are trusting in a God who has a guarantee. There is no such thing as a financial guarantee in this world. That's why every investment has risk. But God has a guarantee because God is in control. And that's who we invest in the most. That is who our resources are for. That is the purpose of your finances. Let's pray together.
Uh, pray with me. I just want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit, where is God calling me to invest? This could be your time, your resources, your gifting. Where is God calling me to invest? And then think or pray, Lord, am I investing well? Am I investing well? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you right now to speak to my family here, to my church family. Lord, you do not condemn. Condemnation doesn't come from you. But reveal to us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to give a faithful account to you. That we would take the things that you have bestowed upon us and that we would grow them for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that my brothers and sisters here would experience the joy of seeing the returns on their eternal investments, God. that they would store up treasure in heaven. Not for the sake of storing up treasure, but because God, it pleases you and that we can love you in this way. In actuality, stewardship is quite an intimate thing because you've trusted us with this. You've trusted us to build your kingdom. So I pray that we would be faithful in that. That our hearts would be yours and all else with it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.